Hello, and welcome back to the Vacation Bible School podcast. My name is Jason Kirk, joined as always by Emily Kirk. Hello, Emily. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How about you? I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been several seconds. I'm doing okay. <laughs> Uh, this is the program on which we are endeavoring our way through the entire Bible. Slowly but surely, we'll get through it. We have made our way to Mount Sinai, did an episode on Mount Sinai, and now we are seeing what happens at Mount Sinai. Moses has received the Ten Commandments, shared them with the people. Everybody's on board with the initial phase one of the plan. And now we're going to get a little bit more of the plan, and I'm sure that'll go very, very smoothly. It's the Bible. Everything goes smoothly. <laughs> Everything always turns out just fine. Uh, on this show, we want to be welcoming to people who believe all the stuff, don't believe any of the stuff, anything in between. This podcast belongs to everyone because the Bible belongs to everyone. So, end of the Ten Commandments chapter, Exodus 20. The people have agreed to the basic terms. God says, great, let's keep running through the terms. There are so many more laws. Uh, Exodus 21 through 23 are mostly rules and stuff, um, and we will get to those in a later episode. God also says, says, all right, here's the plan. I owe you the land of Canaan. That was my promise to your ancestor, Abraham. Uh, God says, I'm going to send my, and he kind of describes it a lot of different ways. I'm going to send my agent, my messenger, my terror, my swarms of stinging insects ahead of you to wipe out the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the other ites until the land of Canaan is yours. So the plan as of right now in the middle of Exodus is God's going to go annoy people until they choose to leave, quote, little by little, meaning ultimately a Texas-sized area from the Red Sea to the Euphrates will belong to the Israelites. That, quote, little by little plan will change by the time they get there. But that's the plan as of right now. God also says again, he reiterates this a lot. As you take over their land, be sure you don't start worshiping their gods. From Sinai on out, avoiding idolatry, avoiding the idea of God as a thing that can be contained or even represented by a mere, flawed, man-made piece of garbage, is one of the most frequently reinforced ideas, because this God is the God of everywhere. God makes it extremely clear to these people, gathered at the foot of the holy mountain, gazing up at the fire of God, that worshiping man-made crap instead of the God of the universe is very, very, very bad. He says it over and over. The message is clear. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> or is it? Boy, he, he re it's, 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 even if you don't know how the story's going to go, you read that and you're like, hmm. <laughs> They're up to something. Because we've seen, you know, already in Genesis 3, that when God says, do not push this button, that button's going to get pushed. That's how stories work. It wouldn't be much That's of a story. That's how people work. That's how people... I mean, people made this story because people know people, right? People know when Button says, do not push Button, Button's going to get pushed. Side note, yes, that stinging insect pestilence that God is singing ahead, uh, yes, those verses will be used to eventually, thousands of years later, justify parts of colonialism, like when European disease wiped out parts of the Americas and... That is bad. That's a terrible excuse. That's a horrible excuse to make for things that are just in and of themselves bad moral choices, regardless of what you think the Bible justifies. So now we have the Ten Commandments, have some other basic traveling rules from Exodus 21 through 23, and we have the Canaan plan. Time to seal the deal. Moses seals it the old-fashioned way. Hosing the Israelites in blood. There's just like verses and verses of 
blood and entrails and it's um it's very moving uh, it all calls back to the blood of the noah covenant sacrifice the blood of the abraham covenant sacrifice the blood that wards the passover destroyer uh they, you know every few chapters in the bible you just need a big old outburst of blood they couldn't bathe easily so this is kind of disturbing because the blood was just going to stay there baked on by the sun basically because they're in the middle of the desert and there's not a lot of water unless moses is hitting a rock with his magic stick i mean he might be but i just can't imagine the smell yeah well it's good for the complexion i don't think so okay well there are fires and altars and blood and 70 elders and everything is getting more metal by the second what a scene uh until now until this covenant, the people who left Egypt with Moses included descendants of Abraham, people of both Egyptian and Hebrew ancestry, surely, possibly some Midianite converts picked up along the way. Uh, Moses had one of those, but then he divorced her. Uh, possibly some surrendering Amalekites. Uh, their nation was blotted out of the book. Doesn't necessarily mean all of them were. Possibly some Egyptian rebels mixed in, people described by the Bible as aliens, as strangers in a, quote, mixed crowd. People from a whole bunch of nations caught up in one big wave of liberation. But as of now, no matter where they were born, now that they've agreed to a new covenant, they are all God's people going forward. Nicaraguan theologian Jorge, and I don't want to mispronounce the last name, I looked it up, could not find how to pronounce it, P-I-X-L-E-Y, writes, This resembles Thanksgiving, when by eating turkey, all people in the United States, whether they be Polish or Mexican or Japanese in origin, declare themselves pilgrims whom God has rescued. A new nation is formed right here at Sinai. God invites Aaron, Moses' brother, and the other elders up Mount Sinai a little closer. They all see some revelation of God. Lots of people have talked about how surreal and understated it's written. God's just there, standing as if the mountain is paved with sapphire. It's, it's, it's a glimpse of endless mystery, and the weirdest thing about it is how plainly it's stated. The volcano god is just right there, the calm in the eye of the storm. So God invites just Moses up, even higher, to talk big business. Aaron and them go back down. Moses leaves Aaron in charge. Dun, dun, dun! This was not noted the first time Moses went up Sinai. It didn't say anyone was in charge down below. Maybe that was the mistake, is things were pretty chaotic without someone in charge. So they're like, Aaron's got to be better than no okay, one. Okay, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> we can't, we can't have that I mean, and Aaron was there when... You know, he was there kind of from the beginning when Moses met God. Remember how we thought that Moses wasn't ready for all this when he started? And Aaron has had all this time along with Moses, and he's still not ready. Moses is massively leveled up along the way. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, it's time for so a check-in on Aaron, because <laughs> Aaron, Aaron's still got a long way to go. Uh, so Moses waits six days for the God cloud to invite him up further with God fire. Moses then spends 40 days on top of the mountain. Uh, meanwhile, Aaron and some guy named her are in charge at the foot of the mountain. Aaron, her is one of the guys who was during the battle with the Amalekites who was helping hold up Moses' staff. That is her's experience so far. Holding an old guy's arm. Uh, Aaron hasn't been in charge since the third of ten plagues 24 chapters ago. And even then, just as a spokesperson. Aaron's sister Miriam has been in charge of more people more recently than he has. I'm sure Aaron will do fine down oh, there. Yeah. It's going to go great. <laughs> so Moses is up there uh, up for a long time. It's it's chapters and chapters and chapters where God is just 
uploading information about the tabernacle he wants the Israelites to build um, and various other rules and laws and he, how he wants the priests to dress and the the incense and the kind of wood he likes and it's like it's it's like the the god of of stones going all in on being a god of temples because that's what he thinks these people want so uh hey Emily so the 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 story of the golden calf is what we're here to tell that's what's going to happen in a few minutes did you have much experience encounter with this story as a as a as a youth in Christ? Nope. <laughs> you... I really don't remember anything about it. I mean, up until now. I mean, I know I've heard of the golden calf, but I I don't think that I could have told you anything if I hadn't read it again. I probably would have thought it was like literally a glowing cow. <laughs> kind of, I guess. Yeah, but like a real live one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it uh it's I mean it's a famous image and it's in all the well, most of the Moses movies and like all that, but I, I I think there's a lot to it that just sort of was glazed over in church if it happened to be mentioned. I feel like I got more, this is one of the many Bible stories that I got more of from like maybe it was in a cartoon or something. Right. Well, and I feel like there are certain things in the Bible that are left out that might left out of our learning rather not left out of the bible obviously that might paint god to look like he is not as merciful and full of grace as we like to picture him as and part of this story is showing god in a different light (laughs) so i feel like maybe that's part of it is you know we learned about the good parts of god so like this is this is a rougher story where rough stuff happens and like you know looking at it from certain perspectives it might feel a little bit unfair so maybe that's you know yeah maybe we just sort of want to sweep it under the rug a little bit and like, yeah well because like with the Noah story in the flood like the rainbow saves the day but with this there's not really a rainbow at the sure. end so yeah. there's a bunch of guys with swords a bunch of guys with beards and swords uh, who really like rules just nerds with swords are here to save the day. And that's a lot less appealing than a rainbow. Uh, So we are now going to air an interview we did a while back with friend of the program, Jane Koston, a podcaster and journalist who covers conservatism. Since been hired by the New York Times, obviously, if you come on VBS, blessings will unfold for you aboundingly. Uh, And uh, yeah. We are excited to now be joined by friend of the program, Jane Coaston. I want to say one of our most requested guests to this point. <laughs> Jane will tweet about the Bible, Jesus, church, whatever, and often it'll be like a tag like, Jane, go on BBS. <laughs> so we're very happy to have Jane on BBS. Jane, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm so excited to be here because I think that a lot of times, like, w- we don't talk enough about the Bible. But when I say that, I mean that sometimes people talk a lot about the Bible, but we don't get into, like, the, the, the nitty-gritty sending bears to eat people who are because of making fun of baldness like there's a lot of the bible in which you can you meet people who are like oh i study scripture and i'm like "Mm, do you have you (laughs) you because i i'm dubious i'm dubious as to whether or not you've actually gotten into this the low-key wildest book ever created by many people who have differing ideas of what's interesting from what i think is interesting because there's a lot of like you need to know whose child this is, but you don't need to know anything about the interesting stuff. Yeah. Right. Here's a list of like 100 names. So anyway, uh, God's going to destroy the world with water. Yep. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> this is, it's not quite as, um, I do appreciate that the Book of Mormon actually tries to continue on that, where there are just long swaths of people saying like, and he begat this person, and that person begat this person. And I'm like, I'm tired of all the begetting. Like, Let's move to, and we're in South America. Like, let's, 
Yeah. Like the plot points here. There's a lot more we could be getting to if we just didn't have to hear about family. Yeah. And I, I, I love like the, the Genesis, you know, when they're editing it together, they're sort of using the begats as like a way to chain stories together. Like it's like, it's like a montage. It's like right. a fast forward. Yeah, but they're so obsessed with co- showing you every step of the montage. We didn't really need any. No, <laughs> no. It's like, you know, the Scarface montage did not need to show like every cocaine transaction. Like, we got it. We got it. It's fine. The Bolivian is happy. You're making money. We get it. We don't need all the details. It's like uh, Terrence Malick edited the book of Genesis. Like, yes, we know the Earth started with volcanoes. We get it. Ooh, now I'm thinking like, ooh, no, there's <laughs> there's a movie that would cost so much money and no one would watch. <laughs> So, Jane, um, when we bring folks on to this show, we like to talk a little bit about our testimonies. <laughs> at, at least See, being the, uh, the Protestant term for like, you Yes, know. I, I know. I know what the Protestants <laughs> get up to. You nailed some stuff to a door, I know. And then you, you guys couldn't decide on some things and you split apart a bunch of times while the Catholic Church was doing very normal things like... Mm-hmm. Um, digging up a dead pope and putting him on trial like the corpse very normal Mm -hmm. very normal everyone gets up to that kind of thing who hasn't put a corpse on trial i mean you get bored it's a lot of the uh i so i as i was raised catholic um went to 13 years of catholic school and it's funny because i think that there are a lot of people i went to who like Catholicism, I have long argued, has a very like has you can there's very much of a cultural Catholicism. So I know a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm Catholic. But at no point have they really considered it. It's just like what they are. And like they'll get their kids baptized and their kids will have their first communion. But at no point is anyone going to be like, what does this mean, really? But, um, you know, I respect the fact that the Catholic Church is a very old organization that like kind of has like this weird multi-century denouement in which it was a political organization just focused on killing people and then killing the people who killed those people. And then there were three popes and then there were two popes. And then there was like a great skit. Like there's this whole, it sort of had like that weird, like mid 2000s Alabama feel where it's like, yeah, yeah. That one time we lost to university of Louisiana Lafayette. Like, yeah, that happened. It's fine. We're moving on. Now we're yeah. a dynasty. Pope Francis, moving forward. So, um, but I was I was raised Catholic. Then I, I think that one of the more seminal moments of my life was uh, finding this website called ChristianStudents.com, which was this big forum, which is where I learned that a lot of Protestants don't think Catholics are Christians, and it's a whole thing. And so I had a lot of people who were trying to witness to me about the Lord, and I was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 like mm-hmm. we're in the same page. And they're like, no, 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 like um. <laughs> We like we really want to talk to you about the love of Jesus Christ. So like, but we're but we, what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, my Southern Baptist church I was raised in, we literally sent missionaries to Argentina. That's yeah. I mean, it wasn't the first time Christian missionaries went to Argentina, but, but we were like, going, <laughs> we were you did it again. Who, yeah, like no, the first one didn't take. No, we gotta... <laughs> no, wait, they they were wrong. Um. And that was a a fascinating experience of just like, because Catholicism, where I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, was the cultural norm to an extent that I think that a lot of people outside of like big Midwestern cities made it understand. Like if you grew up in Chicago or St. Louis or Cincinnati or something like that, you get this where it's just everybody's Catholic. I went to Catholic school. Everybody I knew went to Catholic school. I there were a couple of Protestants who went to our school, and I was like, "Oh, that's nice. Like you're like you're like Lutheran Catholic. That's cool. Whatever. Yeah. You don't take <laughs> communion, but I'm sure that that'll get hashed out sometime." <laughs> 
editing out all the dog noises. So, all right. Yes, so um, so everybody's Catholic. Everyone in the world is Catholic. And then outside of those cities, not everybody is Catholic. And we don't understand those people. Like, the Archdiocese of Cincinnati was very much like, we know what's going, like, you're, you're good. Everything is fine. And then I learned about all these Protestants. I got very anxious. I was very anxious as a kid about, um, like, you know, when I stumbled upon Jack Chick tracks, which are all oh about, my. like, how the Virgin Mary is trying to save me from Satan because the church is Satan. It all, che- you know, it all checks out. Um, and I think that that sense of being unmoored, even within a system I thought I understood, I think encouraged me to learn a lot more about my own faith and to like really study scripture and think about scripture, not just as a like, I believe this, but as a book, as a book that is a historical-ish text that is an understanding of faith, but also is trying, it's when you're trying to tell a very convincing story that is also basically about something that happened, Um, And I think that that sense of trying to find mooring within my own faith, a faith that I think has been challenged billions of times since then, because that's how faith works. So if you're Catholic, you're not really the faith and the works. It's it's very complicated. Um, (laughs) But I think that that unmoorness is why I actually find uh, scripture so helpful, especially because like just coming at Christianity, Christianity is low key a wild religion. Yes. Yeah. It is a wild religion in which like even the main text is like, okay, so you know like the first half? Yeah, you don't really need it. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> like basically you're like, okay, like Jesse's tree, like he's a fulfillment of scripture. But like some of the scripture like you go back to some of the scriptures and you're like, it's not very specific. And then he's basically like, oh, you know, like, yes, they said this, but I'm saying this. And it's very different. It's interesting to have a faith that is so um, it's breaking its own narrative. It is a narrative shattering faith of a narrative that everyone at the time of Jesus's life was within. And the thing that gets me is that like so much of this is context dependent but though I still find like the, um, you know, even outside of that pat- particular context of existing within an Israel that has been overtaken by the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire doesn't particularly care about them and Israel's not particularly happy with them at all. And it just is, it's such an interesting context, but even taken out of that, it is a wild religion. It is religion that I feel as if only it's interesting when you think about it now historically about like how relatively short a period of time that Christianity has not been hugely controversial. And it, it's always interesting to me when certain politicians decide that they want to make Christianity into like, ooh, controversy. I'm like, well, you it could be, but yeah, not your version. Let's talk but, about the controversies that the Bible's <laughs> authors argue about, like Paul versus James on yeah. works versus faith, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Peter which um, Paul literally arguing. <laughs> Yeah, it's actual arguing. And then it's actually extending letters being like, I heard you guys were talking trash. Yeah. I heard you guys were wondering. And then like, I'm going to write a letter to you to tell you that this is not correct. And I always wonder, like, I want to know what the response letters looked like. Like, dear Paul, no, no, we're not going to do any of that. Especially because um, early Catholic church history is this number of councils and essentially conferences that are all aimed at being like, so there's this heresy yeah, and um, it's bad. 
And we're not really going to explain why it's bad. But now we've decided it's a heresy, so you can't do it anymore. And that's it. Moving on. And that's so interesting that, like, the Catholic Church spent centuries essentially trying to winnow down into what this was and then present it as an overall narrative that would make sense. Even though some of the heresies, I'm like, that doesn't sound that tempting, but like Gnosticism and the idea of how you think about your body and the body in existence with faith, like there are multiple and the entire concept of like the Nicene Creed and whether or not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one thing or three things. People have died over that. People have died over like a weird argument that sounds like everyone's high. Like, (laughs) it's such, I I think that as a historical entity, I'm really interested in the history of Christianity and the history of scripture. And it's been actually very helpful for my own faith to think about how wild this thing is that I believe and be like, well, yeah, basically. Like, it, it, it does not make me believe it less to know more about it, which is amusing because I think that there are a lot of people who seem to think the opposite that like, Oh, if you ask too many questions, it'll like the spell will break. And I'm like, no, yeah, no, like I, I it's, that. yeah. Like if I, the more I know about this, the more I'm like, this is actually pretty astounding and crazy. And all of these, like these thousands of years of history is so interesting to me to be a part of. It's kind of like being part of a very weird family. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally feel the same way. Like going back through all of this and realizing that like, I don't know if I literally have to believe that Jesus was the one and only um, God filled human. And that, you know, he literally had a unique thing happen to him after his death. I don't know that I have to believe that in order to call myself a Christian, mm-hmm. because like there were first century Christians who had all sorts of beliefs that, oh, yeah. you know, that you could arrange around that, you know? Yeah. And like going back to the Hebrew Bible as well, you know, and showing the ideas that Jesus is building off of that Paul is building off of when Paul refers to the scriptures, Paul is not talking about himself. No, no. And <laughs> especially when you recognize that when Jesus ascended, The expectation everyone had is like, he'll be right back. Like they were thinking in the part of the reason why there are certain books of the New Testament that are shorter than the others is like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But he'll be back in like 90 years. It's fine. We'll move it. Like there was like a distinct period of time. Like all you have to do is just wait like one and a half generations and he'll be right back and we'll all move on. And especially at the time when this is taking place, when that kind of, when, even using the term messianic messaging would have been so appealing when you are under the heel of Rome and not even like cool Rome, like bad Rome, like Rome at its not good time, Rome at its most Roman and not at the like, oh, like we're, we're having debates about democracy. No, no, this is like, <laughs> we are, we are ex- extending our powers and and I think that that's, that's so interesting to me to think about this within this context that like, especially because first century Christians are doing all of the debating and all the thinking while practicing a religion that like a bunch of other religions that we have long since forgotten was illegal. Like people are getting crucified right and left for believing in this thing, believing in this conceit. And they are doing so with full knowledge that that could happen in some cases willingly. Um, That's like all of the old Catholic saints, like, um, I believe it's, uh, St. Lawrence who was fried to death. And like, they just start coming up with new and interesting ways to kill the early saints. Like St. Stephen got stoned to death, 
which is a terrible way to die that you don't really think about that much. And then you think about like, what it would be like to just be thrown, have rocks thrown at you until you die. And then, yeah, that's terrible. But like, they got progressively more involved means of dying. And then people were like, I'm still signing up for that religion. Yeah. <laughs> and so, for a long time, it was, this, it was this like badge of honor. We're like, hey, Jesus died in a horrible way. I need to die in an even more horrible oh, yeah. way. It yeah. was like, that was the mark of a true Christian. Yeah. And like, you're like, he got crucified. I want to be crucified upside down. Ooh. <laughs> Which I'm like, N I'd rather not be, but you know, the time is called for it. Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff is awesome. And like, well, not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all of that stuff, it adds so much. It does. The um, And like, you know, the stuff you cover in your in, in your day job, like literally the things people yearn for, there will be a secret moment when all the bad guys are right. arrested and our chosen good guy takes over the world. That goes back to not just messing, like it's a perversion of yeah. <laughs> messianic stuff but that goes back to the maccabees so the book of daniel like there has the maccabees, all that low-key is a way more violent story than anyone tells you about Han like hanukkah is cr actually a bananas <laughs> holiday that it's interesting because jewish people are like you know it's not that important really but also it's like about murder it's about yeah. war and murder um but yeah the idea that uh there will be this day when every knee shall bend and every tongue shall confess this thing that you already know the idea of you see it and w this is a complete side tangent but um i grew up my dad's really into bob marley and like reggae music and rastafarianism has a piece of this and rastafarianism is based in a culture that sees itself in very much that same way like we are the downtrodden of jamaica we are growing up very poor and yet we see this idea of the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That's us. Like that will be us someday. There will be this moment in which um, we achieve and get to Zion and Babylon, which is basically everything that is bad, is finally defeated. And so it's this uniquely attractive idea that is so old. And you see it in politics of the, having this I, and I think that that's one of the challenges of talking about politics because it's such an effective image, but it's also, as you said, like such a perversion of not just Christianity, but also our understanding of like, if you get Medicare for all, that's not going to end like all human suffering. Like there is no, there is no equivalent religiosity there. You know, that's one of the challenges I think we have in a society that is growing increasingly more secular but wants to find the importance and that same soul meeting period that soul meeting point of religion where you can't quite get there and you see people in conspiracy theories who are trying to do that they're trying to find the this thing that i believe in someday will come to pass and it will answer all of my questions and fulfill me in a way that i am not fulfilled right now when you can't get that from politics you just can't and you shouldn't, because that would be terrifying. Like that would be <laughs> horrifying, and no one actually, like, you, no one actually wants that. So, it's it's been helpful in some ways to be immersed in the context of the history of Christianity and in Scripture to do the work that I do. Yeah, because we see, like you know, the original idea was, or at least Jesus's version of the original idea is like he's coming to overthrow the rich and you know to elevate the poor. So, what happens when the people who are on top? have the idea that no it's backwards we're just going to get rid of the poor right like right. to me that is the perversion of the idea right. i mean i think that that's been one of the fascinating things i would love to read more about is when christianity became the establishment religion 
when Constantine saw whatever it is he saw in the sky or whenever you had this moment in which Christianity became like, we will kill you if you practice it too. We will kill you if you don't. And how that transition changed how people thought about Christ's message or what they thought Christ's message was. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, key moments. Like, it, you know, it is very cool to go back and look and see like, all right, N.T. Wright writes about this a lot. How like, you know, the Gospel of Luke, when it says Jesus is Lord, there is a hidden implication right there. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. Right. And Luke is very much writing to the Romans. So it's, it's this cool underdog story where the Romans killed Jesus and then within 300 years deify him. But that was a double-edged sword, literally. Right? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so um, we're here to discuss the story of the golden calf. But first, I had one question for you. Yes. Um, church kid who grew up on Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against yep. Machine. Metallica, Marilyn Manson, yep, all that stuff. Was that ever any kind of a conflict for you? No, because um, my parents are uh, super liberal. I think that my parents definitely came, especially my mom, who converted to Catholicism to marry my dad, came from the. So there's the um, net. There, there are the conservative Catholics, the uh, rad trads, the, <laughs> uh-huh. the the rad trads as they are known. And then there's like the Oscar Romero um, social justice Catholics, which used to mean something very different in the 80s and now apparently means something bad, but that's a whole side thing. So my parents were definitely more of the like Dorothy Day Catholicism means being with the downtrodden and doesn't mean yelling at people about their musical taste. I will say that... um, my dad got into Nine Snails once and called me when he was at work when I was in college. He was like, have you heard their new album? And I was like, well, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, so that never really caused anything. I, um, I think I went to Catholic high school, but uh, it was like an all girls school. And I feel like my like there was like this kind of cool girl group of girls who were really into corn and System of a Down and stuff. And they would like burn CDs for me. And I remember thinking that was so cool. But it really, um, it's interesting because there was way more concern about sex in music among Catholics. Like Britney Spears was a big concern. Her existence, big concern. But like, I think that people moved on from like the fear of metal by the time I was in high school to like, we're very worried about rap music and no one cares about metal anymore. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, there really was that shift. Like there's, there's, there's Columbine. Yeah. There's Marilyn Manson is the devil. Then there's yeah. 9-11 and everyone forgets about Marilyn Manson. Yep, everyone moved on real quick. We stopped blaming him for a uh, school shooting by people who didn't even like his music. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And then everybody was like, wait, we're very worried about rap music. That's yeah. that's our concern. So I, I was I was good to go. Okay. So you yeah you were uh, you were on the the allowed list there. I, I was fortunately. <laughs> um. So all right, the book of Exodus. We have had this pause to sort of illustrate the pause that is taking place within the story. God and Moses are up there on Mount Sinai for forty days, which in Bible terms means quite a while. Like it, 40 days appears throughout the Bible and it doesn't always just, you know, it just sort of always means an amount of time has passed. Right. It's uh, the Bible's understanding of time is not exactly literal, though I prefer to believe it is and that there were people who were just like, he's 800 years old. And we mean that like dead serious. But yeah, it, it's it's helpful to think of the just being he's been gone for a long time. No one would be checking a calendar. 
there's a lot happening. So just be cool. There is an ancient rabbinical interpretation that um, someone just did the math wrong. They, <laughs> they did have a calendar and someone didn't realize the day on which he left was part of the 40 days. Oh so Do you remember were... <laughs> uh, the weirdest online argument, which was on a bodybuilding forum about how many days yes. in a week there were? And it went on <laughs> for a really long time. It's like that. Yeah, people have always been like this. That yeah. is, um, so God is up there. He's 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 preparing a big surprise for the people. We'll talk about that later. Um, Aaron is down here. He's in charge of a bunch of scared rookie nomads in the middle of nowhere. And Aaron, we've seen him throughout this story, but he's never been in a fight, never been chosen by God to be the leader. He's never talked trash to the Pharaoh's face, never defeated Amalekites. He's just a dude. And so, you know, he's down there, Exodus 32. The confused, lost, worrying Israelites are complaining to poor Aaron, <laughs> this man, Moses. They literally call him, quote, this man, Moses. Uh, <laughs> he dragged us out here. He's not coming back from that mountain. He said his God would lead us, but it's not. You're in charge. Aaron, make some gods. Do something. I also like that this has happened about like not that far after the, um, you know, leading them out of Egypt thing. Like the interpretation that you have here, obviously like the previous couple of chapters here have been an explanation of rabbinical law in which we need to have a lot of conversations about priestly garments. But also that like the interpretation you get here is that the Israelites have a memory of about, mm, it's real short. Yeah. It's no, and they're, they're like, we don't even, and, and I like that in the New International ver uh, tr Version translation, it's this fellow Moses. And I'm like, you don't <laughs> even remember who he is? Your you're weird brother. Yeah, <laughs> he keeps telling us to do things that we don't quite understand. I also like that Aaron goes along with this entire, like, make us God. He, like, the people are like, make us God, so we'll go before us. And Aaron's like, sure, just bring me some jewelry. It's fine. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Like, uh, these, they lasted seconds, it feels like. I know it's not actual seconds, but at no point is Aaron like, no, you shouldn't do this. He immediately is like, let's go. Let's build some idols. Let's, let's do it right now. Setting up his Etsy shop. <laughs> <laughs> Making crafts. I mean, it would be so nice for him to have something to do that isn't just getting yelled at right. by extremely demanding like, people. Fine, fine, fine. Aaron I mean, is very much the comic relief in uh, in the whole in the Taurus story. Like Aaron has some blunders. <laughs> I mean, it must be really hard to you know you've got Moses who you know is pretty important, pretty critical to the whole story. And uh, basically Aaron's the person who's supposed to help you set up all these altars and he's just helpful. And he was not ever supposed to be in charge. Yeah, you're, you're the, the brother of this extremely weird, extremely intense, super powerful guy who's getting all these complicated rules and you're just trying to keep up with it all, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't apply for this job. I'm just your brother. Yeah, so the, I, the impulse of these people to have like a physical, tangible idol, it makes sense. They're from Egypt. They've seen pyramids and shrines and engravings and monuments. That's their idea of God. And, and this, you know, this Moses fellow is telling them, no, God is everywhere. God is that fire up there. God is this mountain, you know, like it's a totally different idea and their minds are not ready for it. 
Um, and these people don't like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was like 400 something years ago. They have possibly never even heard of that God. Some of them. Yeah, you know? this is all still very new to them. Yeah. And and they were afraid of him. And so now they are seeing like, okay, Moses isn't coming back. What do we do now? We were terrified <laughs> of that guy. So let's do something else. They're like, while Moses has the volcano distracted, let's make a, a nice god that just sits there and yeah. doesn't blow stuff up right i mean i i do, I do have to say that a um the, the the temptations of the new testament exodus god who appears to be present in all things is that he is present in all things and he's not happy and he has a lot of demands and he's got a lot of feelings and then occasionally yep. he does things and he's like you know what i will t- that not going to do that again not going to destroy the world again my bad but yeah. you know He's got a temper, though. Not going to destroy the world with water. No, no. Yeah, you got to get all that stuff in writing. Got to check the terms of service here. Yeah. In Revelation, we looked up like, oh, man, he really did specify water, didn't he? It's just so, it's it's one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it is just the story of humans humaning so hard. I mean, I think that that's why I like the, you know, part of the story of the crucifixion in which Peter goes from like, I'm going to cut off your ear to I don't know who Jesus is. Who? What? I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know, know anything. <laughs> Who? I No, I'm just here. I don't know anything about any of this. And the Israelites who are brand new to this entire conceit, and especially because it would be crazy if you your understanding of God is that you were enslaved and God didn't really appear to be doing very much for you. Then God grows up real hard, like really hard for a period of time in which there is murder, there is blood, there are insects, there's a b- boils, there's the parting of the sea, there's food coming out of rocks, and then he's gone again because Moses has to go talk to him. And you're just like, right. I, but what? It just seems like I understand, like the people, they, they are making very silly decisions, but I understand those very silly decisions because the context would be so weird. Yes. Yes. We, we have to understand and sympathize with these people um, for a lot of reasons. Um, and Aaron as well. Like, I think we see Aaron is, okay, Aaron, you're, you're making a mistake here, but we see he is trying to inch it back toward his idea of what Moses says we should be doing. Like, he tries to specify this thing represents the Lord. <laughs> singular this stupid cow you know and it's like you can't have it both ways he just said you can't do idolatry (laughs) like aaron is trying to make it a monotheist idol but like that's kind of a contradiction because there's a lot of physical (laughs) stuff on earth you know right right though i really respect aaron's commitment to like giving the people essentially the compliment sandwich of like we're i'm gonna give you what you want but sort of not exactly what you want but basically what you want we got a dog Actually. Again. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Leave that in. That was, he's being a real Aaron. <laughs> um, there's also this thing with Aaron that, um, like, per rabbi tradition, like, the rabbis love Aaron because, like, priest. Right. Know? And a, a lot of the authors are clearly, like, priests putting a real shine on Aaron and, like, um, in, in rabbi stories, there's, you know, Aaron's this like massive peacemaker to a fault. He'll go, right. two people are in conflict. He'll go to one and say, oh, your, your, your best friend is so sad that you don't like him anymore. Then go to the other person and say the same thing and keep doing that yeah. until he sees the hugging. Like, right. Aaron's, Aaron's the good cop. Aaron right. just wants to get along. Right. No. And he's basically like, so like, I, I feel like he's got real youth pastor energy. He's just going to sit on chairs backwards and present, be like, so you like rock music. What if rock music 
told the story of the crucifixion. But with graven images, but <laughs> <laughs> graven images of the okay. one and only God. Yeah, the Lord in a graven image, but it's the Lord. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I'm sure that's fine. All people so that he may win them for Christ, basically. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> totally normally fine. Except, you know, maybe God's not, because this is, again, like, this is not cool God. This is not fun, good cup God. This is like not not good cup God. Yeah, this is not Genesis 2 God, you know, just like wandering around, Where's my, where are my buddies? This is Genesis 1 Thunder Mountain, you know. Right. This is, this is cosmic, cosmic God. Um, also, so there's this other guy. It's not just Aaron who's in charge. There's this guy named Her, who's only done like one tiny thing so far. We don't really know anything about him. He was also supposed to be in charge with Aaron. But that guy's not mentioned anymore, which has led some commenters to speculate that this violent mob must have murdered her. And Aaron is like, I got to do literally anything to get these people to calm down. So the whole reason, you know, so he's he chooses to break the second commandment himself to take on the sin of idolatry in order to save these people from murdering each other. People read a lot into the name her appearing here and not here. <laughs> right, right. And then, um, you know, we're Mount Sinai, which... It's interesting because you're just like, while I, I kind of like imagining that God obviously is witnessing all of this taking place, but Moses has no, no idea. And I'm like, what are they doing? Just hanging? Like, I know that half of this is God giving Moses the dimensions of altars for long paragraphs that are, again, like there's just a level of detail here, which I'm like, I get why this is important, but like, let's snap it ahead. And then the Lord says to Moses, like, the people you brought out of Egypt, not me, you, have corrupted themselves. They're stiff-necked people. I don't like them. Go away. I'm going to kill them. We're going to start all over. And and then Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You brought them out of Egypt. I didn't do anything. Like... Why this you know, is all your idea, big guy? Like you said this, you showed up to me in a bush, and you <laughs> said that you would multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Like there was a lot, there's a lot of back and forth. I really, I do, I respect the fact also that God is like, fine, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's try. Like, like I, but also that God is like. I didn't do this. You did this. Like you, I'm like, no, no, Moses, some dude did not part the sea and give people boils and murder the firstborn child. No, no, you did that. Take some personal responsibility. God. God. I was telling Jason earlier, it just sounds like a couple arguing. Very oh. much, very much. Your child, your, can you believe what your daughter did? Right. Yeah, it is very, very much. And I, I think it's supposed to be. Yes. Um, and like, we're seeing God is saying like, I'm going to scrap the whole thing. You're the new Abraham, Moses. And Moses is like, that's not what you promised Abraham. You're God. You have to keep your promises. And God's like, oh, right. Yeah. Moses, you're cool. I like you, Moses. <laughs> right, I, 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 it's just like, like, it could be a test, but also there's every chance that God's just like, ah. Because yeah. it would be really irritating that if you are not literally like making stuff explode or killing people or doing something, the Israelites will just move on real quick. Like they are an easily distracted people. They yeah. are the um there is the idea that like so like they get to Sinai. The reason they're at Sinai is not necessarily because God wanted to, you know, have this tidy, uh, we, we have to end the story where we started it, where the bush was. Like, they're here because Moses and God are worried that if they get too close to the Philistines, they'll all revolt and go back. So, like, God is taking their, you know, their thoughts into account. The, the thing they're talking about up on Sinai is, like, 
they want a physical space to worship. They want something, um, something like a church, something like a temple, something that meets the needs of idols. I'm designing a tabernacle. Meanwhile, your idiot kids are down there doing the stupid version of the tabernacle. Like he's taking their needs into account, but he doesn't quite understand exactly how to meet them. I know, especially because it appears that you're just like, no one needs to hear this much about architectural dimensions of anything. Like, just shut, just, I don't know, just do it. Just, it's fine. (laughs) And, um, and then like, it just, especially, I, I actually, when I was preparing for this episode, I went and Googled a Google mapped Mount Sinai. And I'm like, but it's not, it's not that big. Like it does, like the depiction you have is that like hypothetically, if Moses like turned around and looked to be like, what are they doing down there? I see, yeah, I, I see fire and dancing, you know. We, uh, I mean, like, I, I love the uh, Cecil B. DeMille depiction of this, which is like, they are having a crazy party and it looks amazing. And also the Aaron's giant, giant calf is like, when did you get a kiln? Like, it's huge. Was it Cecil B. DeMille? <laughs> and he just pulls out this mold, this calf mold. Where did it come from? No, yeah, and I'm just like, have you guys been carrying this this whole time? No wonder this is taking you so long. <laughs> Aaron's excuse once he's challenged by Moses is like, oh gosh, so here's what happened, all right? <laughs> they, you know, all the golden stuff that we took from Egypt, all that was very cool. It was slavery reparations. It was very just and wonderful. Well, they piled it all up and I started a fire. And next thing you know, a golden calf jumped out of the fire screen <laughs> by this this stupid lie. Yeah. <laughs> he's making the calf more powerful. Like he's yeah. giving this calf power. It was just a stupid statue. And also, now- um, Aaron pulls the, well, you know these people. Like, yes. <laughs> they're set on evil. Like, what are you going to do? Sometimes you just got to get some gold and accidentally make a giant golden calf. And who, who knows? Um, and you know, the, the, the people are unrestrained. What are you going to do? Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot, there's a big lack of personal responsibility in this entire story. (laughs) So Moses, so before this happens, Moses is up there and God finds out. And I do love that God's just talking for seven chapters. You can sort of picture him like looking over his shoulder, like, are they seriously? But like, God's (laughs) like, like God is just, it's going to take 40 days for God to say these seven chapters, you know, once you start God talking, no one's going to interrupt him. Yeah. But like Moses goes down and so he has this argument with God and he's like, all right, I got this. We don't need you blowing stuff up. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to handle it as a person. You know, we're going to deescalate. We're not going to do big volcano. We're going to do plague. We're not going to blow up an ocean. Let me handle it. You stay up here and you just be mad. It's fine. So Moses goes down. He has the Ten Commandments in his hands. And he's like, I will now do a metaphor. Breaks the Ten Commandments because you, you people, have broken the Second Commandment. Therefore, I will break all of them. Ah, yes. English teachers get exactly what's happening here. (laughs) Um, And he's got his Secret Service bodyguard, Joshua, who is the general, who is walking down the mountain with him. And and Joshua's saying, this sounds like a war. Because to a general, everything is either binary war or not war. And this is more like war than not war. Um, sees people dancing. Oh, horrible. Uh, and Baptists said, oh, yes, clearly. This is very, dancing is, is the problem here. Um, Moses has the calf hammered into powder, dumps that in water, makes the offenders drink it. Uh, which I always had the idea, before, really before going back and rereading it, that it was like molten like molten gold they had to drink. drink. No, but, <laughs> but then no, it's just it's like weird gold. gold powder. It's very like, it's something Alex Jones would sell in his store. Like, it's like... <laughs> You know, if you just powder gold calf, I'm sure it's good for you. Colloidal right. gold, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm cancer can't stand. I mean, 
of all the problems the Israelites faced at that present moment, um, you know, cancer would have been a really low on the priority list. <laughs> so here we have uh, Aaron's, Aaron's like just babbling and babbling and like, I, I don't know where the cat came from. It just walked out of the fire. It's crazy. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in the Quran, there's a fun version where Moses is yelling at Aaron, like they're about to fight. There is beard pulling. And it's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> but in the Bible, Moses just kind of walks past Aaron and focuses on the people who made Aaron do it. And like, there's a lot to read into that. Like, yeah, this is his brother, you know, um, and like he wants to see Aaron's side of the story. Uh, and there's also like, it sort of raises questions of like authorship because like parts of the story were literally written by people of Aaron's priestly lineage. Like they're saying like, no, our guy was our, you know, like, yes, Moses was our prophet, but Aaron was our guy too, right? Um, Moses calls for everybody who still likes that God right up there on the mountain. All right, we're going to assemble. We're going to talk about this. Um, the people who come to rally are the Levites. Moses' tribe, the tribe Jacob prophesied, would be super violent. So here comes some super violence because the Levites go and stab 3,000 insurrectionists and Moses is like, oh, yes, this is cool and good. This yep. is what was going to happen. Yep. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, that seems to be, part of me is just like, so logistically, how did this work out? Like, you know, are we just, how, how are we deciding how this would work? And like, is Moses literally just standing there? Is anyone fighting back? I don't know. There, there are occasionally like biblical authors where I'm like, like, I need more detail about this and less detail about architectural norms. This is the very University of Michigan uh, mind. You're saying, or, or we got a combat situation, but I don't have any schematics. I don't have I have none. 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 <laughs> Especially because I'm like, where, like, are all the Levites, all of them? Because I'm just imagining like toddler Levites being like, let's go. So it's fine. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. My, my, nef my neighbor from the tribe of Benjamins. Going down. They only had three thousand knives. Maybe that's it. Yeah. There's also a fun Bible math thing where, like, the Bible says there's literally, you know, six hundred thousand men. You can math that out to millions of people here. But we have very good reason to think it was like orders of magnitude smaller than that. So, like, three thousand people out of like twenty thousand people. That's like that's a decimation. That's yeah. literally like it's a lot of people. A lot of people are gone here. Yep. Um, and it is highly critical here that it is the Levites who have now taken charge. Moses is a Levite. Aaron's a Levite. Prophet Miriam is a Levite. Moses' mother, who started all this, this whole story was a Levite and now the Levites are in charge and on their way to assume a role in Canaan as the priestly class. They're going to take charge of religion, law, medicine, everything. The Levites commandeer the story from right here on out. The next book is named after them. There's um, one big theory that the Exodus isn't necessarily about all the Israelites, but just the Levite tribe. Like if you read the book of Exodus and you think, oh, this is all fake, this couldn't have happened. Well, it could be a group of breakaway Egyptians led by Moses who bring a version of monotheism up to Canaan. Like they're actual scholars who, you know, who look at who, who look at that idea and think, no, that's probably what happened. Like that's probably the real version of the story. Um, so God looks at the people who the Levites slaughtered and said, I will blot their names out of my book. And we don't know any of their names. We just Which is a are. really nice way in storytelling of being like, and we don't have to talk about them anymore. I can forget all about that. And I, I like that. Uh, Basically, um, Moses is like, now I like now you've committed mass murder. So I'm going to go talk to God and uh, we're not going to talk about the murder, but we will talk about the golden calf incident, which this is all technically still in, in about not the yeah. murder, just the golden <laughs> calf thing, because murder, the, the, how bad murder is, is real questionable, especially because this appears to, like you get into kind of defense attorneying of like, well, manslaughter isn't the same thing as murder so it's okay and um 
Yes, and then that basically begins again the weird relationship between uh, the Lord and the Levites in which he sometimes hates them and sometimes doesn't hate them. And sometimes it's like, I can't even be around you. I don't, I can't even be there. I, don't even look at me. Don't look there's at me at all. Also, I will uh, kill you. <laughs> when it comes to murder here, like there's also the argument that um, when these people betray God immediately, like God and nation here are, I mean, this is an awkward concept to this day, good grief, but like God and nation are basically intertwined and inseparable. So like the act of breaking one of the biggest commandments directly under God's nose, this is high treason. And, you know, to this day, what is the punishment for that sometimes, right? Is, you know, deaths will happen. Uh, so like, I, I've seen that as an argument for like, it's not really murder, it's just enforcing the law, but that is up to interpretation. Um, so God and Moses meeting again, God still owes Canaan to Abraham's children, but is torn on whether to lead them there. Remember, he was going to send his messenger, his destroyer, his swarm of hornets, aka himself, ahead of them to just annoy people until they left Canaan. That was the current plan. Plan will change. Uh, he calls the people again, Moses's people, your childish, <laughs> not my kids. Um, and like you said, uh, God and Moses are very much this married couple. Um, right. And at this point, the people are sad. They're taking off their, off their gold and stuff as like contrition like they're starting to get it and moses says god these people are your people how am i supposed to lead them without you you have to go with us and god again is like you're good at this moses you're good we're gonna remake the commandments we're gonna start all over we're gonna forget the whole thing you're and so you have um the story again, of god. i do like that it's just like i am so mad at you because you are all so annoying um I will not go up in your midst, midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Which I'm like, fair. Yeah. I would not- also be, if I were attempting to be the lord of these people, I would be very annoyed with them. Like, I get that, like, the time space, you know, how time works here means that these are not necessarily, like, literally all of the same people whom you rescued from slavery, but enough of them that, again, like, I get it. I totally get it. It's totally, I understand. But, like... The, the idea of God just being like, I am so annoyed, I could kill all of you, take off the jewelry, so I tried, so I can, like, not murder all of you. Please, like, please do not make me murder. It, it just is like, the, the real, like, the Lord is really angry, and, like, in a very understandable way. There's a lot of, like, understandable sentiment happening throughout the story. Yeah, and it's like, if you people literally can't keep the second commandment, how in the world are you supposed to keep the rest of them, right? Like, God is, is you know... Barely through the list. <laughs> we didn't make it any through the list at all. You forgot the first commandment because you believe the golden calf led you out of Egypt, right? And then, uh, um, yeah, I mean, they were really having a tough time, like... They're, they're, the Ten Commandments, are they're having a tough time with most of them right now. <laughs> like, I wonder if God is like, you know, I probably could have just like said that instead of like screaming it as a volcano. Maybe they would have paid more attention. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I if I could message things as a screaming volcano, that's probably how I would do it. It's true. I mean, again. For like the production God, value alone. Yeah, we, God, we, we get it. We get it. Um, so God, I think ultimately what God comes back to is like, all right, Moses, I like you. You're my dude. I can put up with you. 
And if these are your people, I can put up with them as well. So God, you know, God and Moses have this debate, like, you know, God, you you, you have to um, demonstrate this. So God displays his trust to Moses as he reveals, reveals even more of his glory, his physical glory to Moses. Um, he's, he's this radiant glow. He can only show him his back. His hand is concealing Moses. God's uh, concealing Moses's face because the raw glory would just be too much for a human. Um, and I think even more importantly is God uses this moment to reveal his character to Moses. He reveals the kind of God he wants to be. He describes himself as a God of forgiveness and compassion and patience. And at this point in the story, it's like, word, you know, but this is God describing the kind of God that God wants these people to realize him as if that's the title he has to earn in their minds, then that is what he will do going forward to the best of his ability. Um, and like, like in my mind, like God, infinite, omnipresent, omniscient, overpowering, all that stuff that can be true. And also we can have that God manifesting in our reality as a thing that has to learn right. how to deal with feeble, breakable humans. Right. That he is, I think that that's something that I find um, very, I find that more appealing than the Jesus is your boyfriend kind of messaging that occasionally we get from the world of non-denominational mega, mega churches. A Lord that is so all powerful that occasionally the ins and outs of feeble humanity are like lost on him. Of just being like, but why didn't you just do the thing that I said you'd do? But did, which part of me, I'm like, but do you remember? Like, if we go way back, the whole conceit of original sin, if we just go back to that thing, because you don't exist within a time span. So it doesn't seem like it should be that hard. But it, I do find that so, I find, like, the idea, especially that Moses can come to God and say, you have found grace in my sight. Like, I, you are making good points. He is changed, like, the Lord is changing his mind of saying, like, yes, I know you're very annoyed with all of these people. I'm also annoyed with all of these people. <laughs> but if we do not have you with us, this will go very poorly, as you you're have seen. Us, big guy. You, 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 you made it, you break it, you buy it. Exactly. You, you... <laughs> you did the whole thing. Like, this is all on you. You can't really just, like, you can't go now. Like, it's just well, not fair. And Moses is probably thinking, too, like, if we kill all of these people, then we're starting over, and I can't do this again. <laughs> Moses no. is already, like, 100 years old. Yeah, <laughs> Moses is already super old in this story. I forget the exact the exact age, but, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and Moses, He's like, no more Moses plagues. His, I can't do that again. This is his life's work. He would, yeah. Uh, and, like, there's this point in here where it's like, literally, you said, you said the whole plan is not just liberating your people, but also demonstrating your power to the whole world that you are more powerful than Egypt and you're going to shepherd these people across the desert. If you kill them right now, that fails. And God is like, you did it again, Moses. This guy is really good. This yeah. guy. Moses, raising Moses, raising guy. some strong oh. points. Thank you, honey. <laughs> you're right, dear. You're right, dear. <laughs> there is a moment in the in the tabernacle episode that we'll talk about where like it's even the spouse thing where like the, the presence of God is just like chilling by by Moses at their tent. They're just camping, just gazing out like, you know what? I think this is going to work. And like, that is when you see the flip side of the spouse thing. You know, you see the the, the, the settled spirit presence of God and the spirit presence of God going back to Genesis 1-2, going to the Kabbalah, spirit of God is often very feminine. So like the spouse thing, you can take that as high as you want. Right. Like, 
But yeah, this is the moment where, you know, Moses gets a copy of the Ten Commandments. He has to inscribe these because God is like, All right, you broke the first ones. You, <laughs> you write these. He brings them down. This is a masterpiece of editing because we have the two different Ten Commandments stories by two different authors that have been merged in a beautiful way, which is a little bit different from like we have two Noah's Ark stories that are just crammed together. <laughs> right. Confusing. Moses walks down with the restored tablets. The covenant is anew. His face is shining from having gazed in God in some way that nobody ever has before. He has to wear a veil to avoid scaring people. This has been interpreted in every way from he's glowing to he has horns to he's wearing a mask made of gold to now he looks like Emperor Palpatine. I think that one is probably the best because Why not? There, there's a cost to, to that experience. Right. I also like that so much of this is about um, the Lord talking about how uh, merciful and gracious and long suffering he is. Abound like so much. It really does have that married couple vibe of like abounding in goodness and truth. <laughs> forgiving iniquity and transgression but by no means clearing the guilty and i'm like we get it we get it you're mad you're still mad we're like this whole thing you are a stiff-necked people we get it we all get it we're just gonna let this go you're not gonna let it go you'll never let it go you're gonna keep bringing this up for years but you don't need to hear about this but you will yes <laughs> It's very till death do us part, and, and, and this is the uh, this is the poorer versus the richer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the story of the golden calf resolves with God's people purged of those who weren't really all that on board. Moses is not just renewed, but empowered. Aaron, Aaron, our comic relief guy, Aaron learns a lesson and will catastrophically mess up again very soon. The uh, Aaron remains in charge because his brother is like God's boyfriend. That, yep, that <laughs> that will remain in Leviticus. The Levites are the winners who will write the history book after this group reaches Canaan. Everyone is now on the same page, somewhat for now, for a few chapters. We get it. We're all doing our best here. The Golden Calf story stands up today as this hilarious, weird, murky, mysterious episode. Um, and I think its authors knew it was a dark comedy. The calf. We won't really even get to this for several episodes, maybe not even this year, but the calf is a political satire. It's a reference inserted hundreds of years after Moses that refers to the, the kingdom of Israel and kingdom of Judah. One side thinks the calf is the symbol of God. One side thinks the cherubim is the symbol of God. So like anyone on one side of that divide who reads it, you know, who goes back and reads the story and they, they you know look across the street and they say ha those guys worked with calves but the bible as of whenever this guy wrote this in here said calves are bad so like there's active real yeah. world political satire going on with the calf right no it, and i think that that gets there's so much of this that is so context heavy and yet can be removed from context which i think is especially because you have to remember that like the biblical authors are not operating in a vacuum they are operating in a world in which this is a this is supposed to be both persuasive and like devastatingly accurate in a way it's essentially they're trying to write like really hot tweets of some sort <laughs> that will both persuade and irritate and it's got to be entertaining and it's i true. mean this story's super entertaining it's you know? true it's true especially after we just went through so many chapters of rabbinical law oh right, yeah let's... yeah once you're once you're into like chapter six of like all right no so here's how the tassels are supposed <laughs> to and like uh, you're gonna need to find some phoenicians you folks who are out here in sinai you're gonna need to find some phoenicians you're gonna need to find some olive oil that they didn't even have in egypt like there's all these crazy like oh yeah remember how i told you you can't cut rocks into into altars <laughs> scrap all that you need to 
uh, discover stonemasonry and expert like woodsmithing and, and metallurgy right here, right now. <laughs> like, so like we go through all that and then it's like, all right, we're, we're going to take a break and just watch some murder. Won't that be fun? <laughs> it's a good time. It's um, a good time. I think the people who are listening to this story for the first time, they thought it was funny, right? Like they chuckle as they see Aaron's predicament. They, you know, they, they're like, oh, Aaron's fumbling for an excuse. And like, we're supposed to sympathize with Aaron because we're supposed to see how easy it is for even God's people, people called literally on Mount Sinai, to have a religion that welcomes refugees and defends the poor and thinks of others, to instead slide into selfish worship of shiny garbage. And like, boy, does that sound current. Like, this is not an antiquated story. Literally, the story of America is the story of people who ignore their supposed religion of defending the poor and uplifting the lowly and the downtrodden and instead focus on, ooh, ooh, uh, shiny garbage promising me stuff that is fake. But it's, that, but it's there. It's there. You're not waiting for like the eternal and the the eternal and the omniscient. You're it's you know, would you it's kind of one of those things about it's like the marshmallow test and everyone failed. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best description. Like it's just like, could you hold on for a period of time so that Moses can have this long talk about tassels with God? Or would you rather have give up your jewelry to make a calf to do something that Aaron will sort of make into a version of the Lord, which we know it's not. But no, no, everybody fails. Everybody like this is, you know, it's the most human story in the world that you present people with the marshmallow test and they can't do it. I think that I think that I think that summarizes it. I think we're all set here. All right. That puts a cap on the story of the golden calf. Jane, thank you for joining us. This is Ab- very fun. Absolutely. Well, that was fun. Thank you to our friend Jane for joining us. Uh, Also, the theory that we mentioned in there on the uh, Exodus possibly being actually the historical story of the Levite tribe traveling to Israel. Well, the best explanation of that is the Exodus by Richard Elliott Friedman, who we interviewed for our Mount Sinai episode. How about that? And up next, we have an episode on the tabernacle when we will finally, and I mean it this time, going to finish the book of Exodus. I'm pretty sure. I'll believe it when I see it. We will see if it gets split into two episodes. But... <laughs> it's already backtracking. No, it, I, I, the next the next episode on Exodus, how about this? The next episode on Exodus will be the last episode on Exodus. That I can say. If you'd like to support this show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, VBS Podcast. We've got a Patreon with some stuff on there. Uh, we're working on doing some Wednesday night Zoom church and, and stuff like that. Come hang out and fellowship with us. Come fellowship on the Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, leave us a review review on the podcast app of your choice and we will see you soon in the tabernacle